ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, for you alone are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So many of you are familiar with Mark Twain, right? Now, Mark Twain's best-selling work, you may know this, uh, during his life was not about Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn. It wasn't about a jumping frog or even a Connecticut Yankee. You see, long before we had the Travel Channel on our cable lineup, Mark Twain wrote a book called The Innocence Abroad. And it's essentially um, a late 19th century version of the Travel Channel. You see, right after the Civil War, he got on a steamer and he went on a massive tour of Europe and he ended up in Israel, in the Holy Land. And he writes all about his experiences abroad. Um, you can imagine the allure of these faraway places. And he, you can see it through Mark Twain's eyes, his lens, which is uh, often funny, sometimes a little blasphemous, um, often poignant in what he writes. And he mixes these uh, places they go with stories about his traveling companions and all of their antics. Um, it's the kind of trip that, that you draw on for a lifetime of stories and anecdotes. It was actually, again, the best-selling work of Mark Twain while he was alive. And in that, there's a part where they come to the Sea of Galilee. That's where we are today. We're in Mark chapter 6 in the Sea of Galilee. Um, and he tells a pretty funny story. Uh, the group, and you, you can imagine, most of the folks on this trip, the reason they're on it is to get to Israel. And the reason they want to go to Israel is most of them are far more devout uh, than Mark Twain himself. And so he tells this, uh, it's about you know, a couple paragraphs. They're so excited to go to the Sea of Galilee, um, this place where Jesus uh, lived and ministered and walked on the water. And they're like, what will it be like? They've built it up in their minds. And uh, the group gets to the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, um, then there were no like boat companies to take you out. Now, if you go, there's boat companies. They take you out. It's pretty cool. Uh, but they saw some folks out in the water. They flagged them down and said, come here. Said, how much to take us out on the water of the Sea of Galilee? Now, remember, the, this group has devoted months of their lives. You don't just hop on a plane. They've spared no expense, and they can't wait to go onto the sea. And I think the very opportunistic Captain realized this, <laughs> and he said, two Napoleons. Um, now, I don't know. I had to look this up. Two Napoleons is the equivalent of $8, um, which if you do the math with inflation is about $200 of our current currency. And so this group who had traveled all the way from America to sail on the Sea of Galilee, do you know what they did? <laughs> they tried to talk them down. He said, how about one Napoleon? <laughs> and the captain got in his boat and he left. <laughs> and he left them there on the shore. Um, and there's a later account from one of his biographers, and it said a guy traveling with Mark Twain looked to the other guy and said, well, no wonder Jesus walked. <laughs> and actually, my favorite thing about that story is not, I mean, it's a good one-liner, but it's such a good one-liner that we have about eight versions of it 
And in most of them that we get now, Mark Twain himself says the one-liner. Can you just imagine being the guy who finally got the joke in <laughs> with Mark Twain? And it, it's sometimes reported that the reason we think Mark Twain said this is because Mark Twain at times has said that he said it. <laughs> because Mark Twain, if you know, never let uh, details get in the way of a good story. But here, I actually think the, the entry point for this story is in the details. And so I want to look at Mark chapter 6, this iconic moment of Jesus walking on the water. I want to look at some of the details to help us see why Jesus is doing this and how the disciples respond, um, which gives us an indication of how we should respond, how we should process this information today. Um, so first, why did Jesus walk on the water? Mark 6, verses 45 through 48. Um, quite simply, Jesus walked on water because he missed the boat intentionally. Let's look at the context. Uh, Mark says, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him uh, while he dismissed the crowd. And the astute reader might say, what crowd? Well, this looks back to an earlier part of Mark 6. And Mark 6 is this really full chapter in Mark's gospel. Um, and it's one of those chapters more than any other where we see the ebb and flow of faith and doubt with the disciples, where sometimes they really get it, and sometimes they really don't. If you remember, Mark 6 started, um, and we were here a few weeks ago, um, Father Joey Fitzgerald was our guest preacher. It was our last Sunday outside under the pavilion, which seems like months ago. But he looked at this passage where Jesus sends his friends out uh, on mission. Uh, Mark wrote, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many people with oil, and healed them. In other words, early in Mark 6, things are finally going okay. They're finally going right. The disciples are like high-fiving each other. And in the middle of that momentum and success, there's another story. It's a dark story. And it's where John the Baptist is killed. He is beheaded um, at the command of Herod. Again, that's a dark, sordid tale all of its own. But think about all that's happening here in Mark chapter 6. This um, successful but exhausting and stressful work followed by devastating news that John the Baptist um, has been killed. And what we hear early in the chapter is they just want to get away. They want to have some time to themselves, some time with the Lord. But this crowd crashes their ideas, crashes their party. And what does Jesus do? He ministers to the crowd, and then eventually he feeds them. What's he feed them with? Some loaves and a fish, and he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. And then one of the beautiful details, and there were leftovers <laughs> from those meager rations. And now he's like, okay, the retreat got delayed, but seriously, y'all get in the boat. Go ahead. I need some alone time. <laughs> I need some time with the Lord. Um, and that's what's, what's happening here. And that, that's the context of uh, this miracle. And Mark writes then that when evening came, again, Jesus is spending time with the Father in prayer. Uh, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. Now, again, I said that the, really the details are part of what makes this account 
Think about some of these details. The wind is against the disciples. Uh, Darkness shrouds the water. They are rowing furiously, getting nowhere. And then amidst this darkness and chaos and futility, Jesus walks out to them on the water. And I want you just for a minute not to think of that as like a cool trick. Um, I mean, it's a kind of neat way to transport yourself. Maybe you've surfed or tried to do anything on the water. I can't do it. Um, But there's a lot more going on here. And when we hear that Jesus is walking on the water, I don't just want us to go, that's amazing he can do that. I want you to go, are there other times um, where the Lord is over the water? And what could be happening in this, again, it's more of an icon, it's a picture we're supposed to learn from. Um, All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Being over the waters is this mark of divinity um, in the Scriptures. Um, Reflecting on the Exodus. Remember the book of Exodus, the Israelites, they're redeemed from slavery, They go through the Red Sea on dry ground. And the psalmist looks back at that event. Here's how it's summarized. Your path, Lord, led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. They're thinking about these rich images, these details that Mark is building in. And then there's this one really odd detail in the story. Um, One odd detail is that Mark tells us that Jesus intended to pass them by, or rather, pass by them. Um, And I don't think this, okay, uh, I don't think this is the old introvert trick. If you're an introvert, you know what I'm talking about. You see someone in the grocery store, and you know them, (laughs) you just kind of go this way. (laughs) This has gotten a lot easier with masks, by the way, just FYI. Um, I don't think Jesus is trying to avoid his friends. That's what we think, right? He was going to pass by them. Um, let me give you a couple of places where that phrase occurs in the Bible, pass by. In Exodus, again, back in Exodus chapter 33, um, Moses, he's up on Mount Sinai, and he asked the Lord, says, show me your glory. If you remember what God does, says, I'm going to hide you here in the cleft of a rock, and then I'm going to pass by, and you're going to see my glory. Fast forward a little bit. 1 Kings chapter 19. The prophet Elijah is on a mountain. He's looking for God to reveal himself. How does he speak? How does he appear? What's his presence like? And in 1 Kings 19, God tells Elijah, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. This phrase over and over. Um, One last example, uh, Job chapter 9. If you know the book of Job, probably our earliest written uh, text that we have record of in the Old Testament, even though it doesn't come first in our, in our Bible. Um, Job is this mix of faith and doubt, and he's just trying to wrestle with God and his ways. He's trying to wrestle with ha- how big God is and how different his ways are at times. And in Job chapter 9, here's how he summarizes it. Um, he alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive them. 
Um, I don't think this is accidental. I think these details are here for a reason. And Mark's letting us know, this is not Jesus the introvert avoiding his friends. This is Jesus, the very word of God, the very revelation of God, showing his disciples who he is. Setting up this scene of grace and glory for his friends. He wants them to ponder it, to perceive it, to understand it. Uh, maybe not even to talk about it right away. Mark's the gospel, if you know. Mark's always like, hey, shh, don't tell them yet. Um, just, just, just ponder it for a moment. Richard Hayes, New Testament scholar, says Mark is teaching his readers over and over to wonder and to listen more deeply before they start talking about things too wonderful for their understanding. There's a lot going on here. And far from playing games with his disciples, uh, Jesus is driven by love and compassion and care. He's not trying to show off here. Whenever we see the miracles of Jesus, they're, they're a clear arrow. They're supposed to teach us about God and the work he's doing in and through Jesus. And here, Jesus is trying to say, there's divinity in your midst. That's what happens when we're over the waters and when God's presence passes you by. He's trying to let them know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is now active in this person in a way that we could hardly hope or imagine. That's why Jesus missed the boat. And while we use that phrase often, right, miss the boat means you don't get it, the disciples, they get the boat, but they miss the point. Um, so let's look at that. And by the way, whenever we're um, reading the gospel, it's just a little easy trick. Um, usually we should put ourselves in the sandals of the disciples, not Jesus. <laughs> it's, you know, part of why the gospel authors have them wrestle and struggle is not just to make fun of them, but to help us with our own processing and wrestling and struggling. So let's, let's see what happens when they catch the boat but missed the point, verses 49 through 52. Um, again, here's where they are. They're in the boat. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. By the way, the sea, this is a huge lake. It has waves. It's a big lake. It's like half the size of Lake Tahoe. Um, and they're out on the waters. Um, they're straining against the wind and the waves. Uh, literally, there is physical and emotional and spiritual darkness. And it says that Jesus sees them, that somehow the Lord has shown them what's happening um, you can't quite see that far <laughs> if you're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Um, I do find this interesting, just as a little detail. This is, um, th there's one main mountain, one main hill next to the Sea of Galilee. It's pretty famous. Jesus actually gives the Sermon on the Mount from that hill. <laughs> and I just imagine that Jesus is in that same place, uh, praying, spending time with the Father, and he's shown, hey, they need your help. And so he goes out walking to them, uh, their description, again, he's about to pass by them, this idea of revealing his glory. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Um, it actually sounds like something out of Hamlet, doesn't it? <laughs> Fourth watch of the night, here comes a ghost. I'm surprised they didn't think it was John the Baptist at first, since he had just died. Um, and again, we, we shouldn't give them too much of a hard time. Um, this, this is all of us, the disciples. Um, they're out in the middle of the lake. They're, they're trying to get to the other side, and they can't make any headway. Um, and it's almost always true if you're reading the Gospels, whenever the disciples are not with Jesus, 
they're always in trouble. Whenever they're not with Jesus, they're always in trouble. Um, and again, at first, we think they missed the point because they don't recognize him. They're terrified. They think he's a ghost. I mean, think about it. Despite everything they had seen and done, they were casting out demons. They were healing people. Everything they had seen Jesus do, even in the last few days, this was not on their radar. This was not a category they had. And so Jesus reassures them. Immediately, he spoke to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. Um, I think here we see Jesus' compassion and love. He, he doesn't berate them for missing the point, does he? He comes to be with them, and things get better immediately. Um, it's the same compassion and love we've seen throughout the Gospel of Mark. We just saw it when he fed the 5,000. It's this patient love that Jesus displays over and over again. He still wants to, uh, to love them and care for them and train them. He doesn't, um, this is probably far afield. You, have you noticed in college football right now, there's the transfer portal? People are transferring right and left. It, and it, it occurred to me, like, if you, were, if you were Jesus and you wanted success, at some point, don't you just, like, not, like, you pass by them and just keep going? Like, hey, can I exchange these guys? <laughs> Can we go down to Jerusalem to the university and get some like five-star recruits? These guys are not hacking it. But he doesn't. He doesn't with them and he doesn't with you or me. He works with them. He loves them. He cares for them. He trains them. He says, don't be afraid. It is I. This, this rich Greek phrase, ego eimi. Um, John uses it all the time as this marker of divinity. If you read the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, when Moses said, Lord, who are you? He said, ego eimi, it is I. I am who I am. Jesus is comforting and he's coming near, but he's still teaching. He's still revealing his divinity to his friends. And I would say that Mark is intentional. There are just questions after questions after questions. He's building to chapter eight when Jesus right on the spot says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? All these stories are different ways leading to that question. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this that is able to walk on the water like the spirit hovered over the waters in creation? Who is this? Who do you say that I am? There's so many lingering questions. And Mark kind of sums it up pretty quickly. It says they were completely amazed uh, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Um, I don't have time to get into this, but by the way, when you read their hearts were hardened, that's never good in the Bible. And he's saying like, okay, I just gave you all this Old Testament background, right? The details. He's like, no, no, no. Like yesterday, Jesus did something. And you didn't understand. You didn't get what he was doing. You didn't get who he was. I mean, you would think after you saw a miracle, right? Loaves, fish, feed 5,000, they have leftovers. Wouldn't you be talking about that? Thinking about it? Processing it together? Praying to the Lord? They're just out rowing the boat, getting stuck against the wind. They've got their heads down, trying to get their boat across the dark and choppy waves, getting nowhere, trying harder and harder and harder. 
So what do we do with a story like this? How do we respond? Um, really briefly, I want to just trace uh, what I think is an appropriate response in light of what the disciples do and don't do. Again, I think we're supposed to look through their, their eyes when we look at Jesus. And they're at this pretty critical moment in their journey. I mean, early on, Jesus has called them to himself. Um, he sent them out in ministry. They've done remarkable, miraculous things. Um, they've taken these baby steps. They seem to grow. You're like, okay, now they're going to get it. Nope. They don't get it. Um, I mean, sometimes they, they do his work, exhibit his character. Sometimes they don't. Here, they've kind of stalled out. Uh, they're, they're paralyzed in a way. John the Baptist, their friend, was killed. I mean, don't miss that. They're, they're weary and, and they're grieving. And I would think they want to just like hit cruise control. Um, they're not unfamiliar with this body of water. Many of them work these waves year after year, season after season, fishing. They can kind of go on autopilot to go across the Sea of Galilee based on their experience. But now it's not working. So they hop in the boat without Jesus. They start paddling. They're struggling against the oars. The wind turns against them. They're going nowhere. And they miss, don't miss this. And then they say, Lord, help us. No, that's not in your text. They don't. They don't, they don't turn to the Lord for help. I mean, even the book of Jonah the book of Jonah, when they have this massive storm, these pagan pirates turn and they're, they're like praying to their gods. We're used to, in the Bible, when there's trouble on the water, you pray. It's significant that they don't. They just paddle harder. Struggle more. Um, and again, I'm not trying to give these guys a hard time. Um, I do this. You probably do this as well. Um, you're trying to grow in your relationship with the Lord. You're, you're looking to be obedient. You're looking to follow his call. You're looking to grow. You're looking to do the next thing God has for you. And when you encounter something hard, you're like, I got this. I just need to row harder. I'm strong enough to do this. I've been here before. Again, they knew these waters. I can just get through. And when opposition comes, we can get paralyzed. We, we can be in this place of, of straining hard, going nowhere. Maybe just putting our head down and trying to get through it. I think this pandemic season, a lot of us have felt like that. Maybe we'll just put our head down and get through this, and then it'll be done. <laughs> it'll be solved. Somehow, those of us who know the Lord Jesus, we've received his, his love, his mercy, his grace. And then in the middle of our journey, we go, okay, I can take it from here. I can row hard. I know where I'm supposed to go. I'll get there on my own strength. But instead, I think our big takeaway here is that when we are in these places where we seem paralyzed, soul weary, we're doing everything we can, but, but the wind is against us. Um, maybe the solution is not to row harder, but to look for the Lord, to call upon the Lord, to remember who he is and what he's done, to remember that, that this is the sovereign Lord over all creation, 
That's what they should have done. I mean, you just had Jesus do all this with loaves and fish. You're not going to ask for help. That's what we're called to do. So again, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if, if you resonate with that. Maybe you are, are gripping onto your own oars with uh, blistered hands and a sore back. Going, why am I not getting anywhere? Why does this seem stalled out? Maybe you've put your head down and you're just going, hopefully we'll get there soon. Who knows? Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, uh, the same Paul that wrote Ephesians 3 that we read today, he asked them this question. He says, after a beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? That's what I thought of when I read this passage. After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And I would just say, if, if you resonate with this, if, if you've stalled out, if you feel like I'm not, you're not getting it, maybe you, you're like, man, I keep missing the boat, missing the point. Um, the answer is not just to try harder or to row faster. The answer is to look for Jesus and to remind yourself of who he is and what he's done, uh, both more broadly, but also in your own life. Just like they were called to do. We're called to trust his work his effort, his grace, his strength in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we get, whether it's from one side of the lake to the other or um, how we follow and do the work that God has given us to do. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.